Chemical Watch podcast. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety. Hello, this is Kate Lowe, Global Managing Editor of Chemical Watch, welcoming you to the News and Insight podcast hosted by the members of the Chemical Watch News and Insight team. We're here to take you a little further behind the headlines and provide you with fresh insight into the big developments taking place in the world of chemicals management. For today's episode, I'm joined by our North America Managing Editor, Kelly Franklin, Europe Managing Editor, Lee Stringer, and America's Senior Editor, Terry Highland. This is our second podcast, taking a look at some of the big themes from the 2023 Global Outlook series of articles, which examine in depth the policy and regulatory developments likely to affect chemicals management over the next 12 months. We'll begin with the big developments expected under the US Toxic Substances Control Act, or TOSCA, including proposed rules to address unreasonable risks for high-profile substances. We'll follow our look at TOSCA with an update on progress under the European Commission's Chemical Strategy for Sustainability. And finally, we'll head to Canada for the latest on the Canadian Environmental Protection Act and other developments expected in 2023. So let's start with the US, where during 2022, the Environmental Protection Agency reworked its risk determinations for the first 10 existing chemicals to be subject to risk evaluation under the Toxic Substances Control Act. Now, this year, the TOSCA program's focus will shift to addressing the unreasonable risks identified in those risk determinations. So, Kelly, um, what can you tell us about the approach that the agency is likely to take in its rulemaking? Uh, thanks, Kate. You've you've asked a question that's on a lot of stakeholders' minds. Uh, so yeah, taking a slight step back, the TOSCA Existing Chemicals Program sets out a three-step process that starts with prioritization, then risk evaluation, and finally risk management to address any un- un- unreasonable risk identified. The first 10 risk evaluations were largely completed in 2020, but when the Biden administration took the helm in early 2021, we saw a lot of rework of those evaluations to apply new policies. Uh, Among those were a shift to a single risk determination on a substance-wide basis rather than use-by-use risk determinations. Uh, We hear this called the whole chemical approach. Uh, We've also seen the removal of the assumption that personal protective equipment, or PPE, is always properly worn. And as a result of this reworking, uh, risk management has been on hold until the agency finalized revised risk determinations for most of those first 10 substances. Now, with those revisions finalized uh, just in the end of last year, the path is finally clear for EPA to begin proposing risk management rules. Um, And this is pretty fresh territory for us. We've seen only one of these Section 6A rules so far under the amended TOSCA, um, and that was for asbestos. So that was issued in April 2022, and it proposed for a ban of all ongoing uses of chrysotile asbestos. But the agency has said several times that, the, that asbestos is something of an outlier, and we should be looking to future risk management rules to get a better sense of how the agency will use all of the tools in its TOSCA risk management tool belt. 
Um, so what are those tools? There are a lot of them. TSCA authorizes EPA to prohibit the manufacturer processing distribution or disposal of the substance, restrict certain uses or set concentration limits, require warnings or use instructions, or impose testing, record keeping, or downstream notification requirements, among others. So how the agency pulls from that menu of options will be interesting to see. But even beyond that, we still have a lot of open questions. One is how the whole chemical risk determinations will affect risk management. EPA has left open the possibility that under this approach, it could regulate uses that do not by themselves pose unreasonable risk, which some view is an indication that it could be trying to pursue more bans. Uh, we also will be interested to see how PPE fits into risk management. EPA has not been considering PPE at the risk evaluation stage, but said when it comes to risk management, if industry workplace best practices that are already in place are sufficiently protective, it could simply codify those existing practices in a risk management role. At the same time, we've also seen the agency come out with existing chemical exposure limits or ECHLs. Uh, which for some of the substances it's looking at right now are orders of magnitude lower uh, than the existing OSHA PELs. So there's a lot of uncertainty as to how those ECHLs could come into play, whether those limits could be reached, and how they would be enforced in practice. Uh, plus, there's still just a lot to learn about how the agency will do risk management. Uh, we've got fence line community considerations that we don't know how that will play into its management decisions. Um, it must consider certain alternatives when deciding between regulatory approaches. We don't know what kind of exemptions it might allow, what transition timelines it'll offer, and a host of other issues. Um, excitingly, all of this could start coming into focus really, really soon. Uh, the EPA could potentially be issuing its proposed methylene chloride risk management rule at any point. The rule's been undergoing interagency review at the White House's Office of Management and Budget since November. That process typically takes about 90 days, which is around now. Uh, so it's possible we could, in the next few days or weeks, be finally getting our hands on a proposal that'll give us a better sense of how EPA will be tackling this task of mitigating the unreasonable risk it identifies in risk evaluations. Uh, also worth noting that the agency just recently sent another risk management proposal to OMB, this one covering perchloroethylene or PERC. So we are see, starting to see the agency ramp up a little bit on risk management. Uh, it's indicated plans in its regulatory agenda this year to put out six proposals during the calendar year and finalize its asbestos rule. I think in reality, we might not see that level of speed, but it's definitely going to be a lot of action here and certainly a lot of debate. Thank you, Kelly. That was a really comprehensive overview. That's fantastic. Um, so staying with the TOSCA program, um, the agency has a statutory deadline to complete the next 20 substance risk evaluations by June, which, you know, of course, we understand, uh, you know, it, it, it's going to miss that deadline. However, stakeholders are hopeful that at least a few draft evaluations will surface this year. Um, so can you give us some idea about what, what we might see? Um, and, you know, what do we know about the way these evaluations will be handled? Yeah, it's a, another area the Tosca community is closely watching and, and also has a lot of uncertainty. You're, you're right. We are well behind schedule on those next 20 risk evaluations. Those were prioritized for evaluation back in December 2019. And the reviews were supposed to have been completed in three and a half years. That's that June deadline you mentioned. Um, factoring in a handful of manufacturer requested risk evaluations we've also received since then, we're now looking at 23 ongoing evaluations, and we have yet to see a single draft risk evaluation come out. Uh, remember that the first 10 evaluations were all completed under the Trump administration. So consequently, we've not yet gotten a good handle on how 
this current Biden administration will piece together a risk evaluation that it's handling largely from start to finish. Um, the question of timing is also a good one. We don't really know when draft evaluations will start trickling out. Um, but the AG agency has given us some hints about which will be among uh, the substances uh, on this next tranche of 23 that it's looking at, that it's, it's hoping to get out the door first. Uh, those are formaldehyde, the flame retardant TCEP, and three solvents, trans-1,2-dichloroethylene, 1,1-dichloroethane, and 1,2-dichloroethane. Um, so for those evaluations that'll be coming, I think it's a pretty safe bet that we'll, seeing the, we'll be seeing the agency consider and in many cases apply that whole chemical risk determination rather than the use specific ones. We can also expect the agency to continue its practice of not assuming the use of PPE at the risk evaluation stage when considering work workplace exposures. But there are also some bigger question marks. Uh, for example, we've not yet seen how the agency will incorporate data it receives under a TSCA Section 4 test order. Um, and we've seen a few of those issued in the last few years. We're also not sure how fence line considerations will affect risk findings. What's also uncertain is the role that the Science Advisory Committee on Chemicals, or the SAC, will play. For the first 10 chemicals, the SAC conducted these exhaustive multi-day reviews of the evaluations and put out these really lengthy peer review reports. Uh, and there was a lot of concern at the time that it, it was just not a sustainable approach, that it was too much to ask of this panel of volunteers. So it's possible we could see a shift where the SAC takes on a slightly different role, for example, looking at cross-cutting issues that appear across a few of the risk evaluations. But one area where we do know that the SAC will be weighing in is on the EPA's effort to roll out a cumulative risk assessment approach. Uh, just this week, actually, the agency released a document outlining principles of cumulative risk assessment and floated plans to apply that approach to a subset of the phthalates currently undergoing agency review. EPA indicated this analysis for the phthalates would take place in parallel with each substance's individual risk evaluation. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that broader CRA approach informs the ultimate unreasonable risk determination for each of those specific phthalate reviews. Okay, thank you very much, Kelly. Um, and finally, during uh, 2022, uh, the EPA put some effort into finding ways to cut the heavy backlog in pre-market reviews for new chemicals. Um, do we expect to see some progress this year? Yeah, the growing backlog of PMN reviews has, has certainly been a big concern for industry, together with just a lack of predictability in how quickly the EPA will complete those reviews. Just last week, actually, we saw a report from the Government Accountability Office that indicated the agency misses its 90-day review deadline more than 90% of the time. We have heard some cautious optimism that some of the agency's efforts on new chemicals will begin to bear fruit in the coming year. EPA has pulled senior scientists from across the agency to assist with its new chemicals reviews, and it's continuing to hire new scientists. In recent months, we've also seen the agency roll out IT improvements, streamline its new chemical processes for certain substances, and conduct an educational campaign for submitters aimed at reducing rework in its, in its evaluations. But EPA did not get as significant a funding boost as it requested from Congress, and there's a substantial backlog of cases to get through. So even if the agency does start to pick up the pace, I think the reality is that we're going to continue to see lots of delays for bringing new substances to market. Okay, thanks again, Kelly. Now, let's head over to Europe, which saw delays to some key aspects of the EU's chemical strategy for sustainability in 2022. Uh, most importantly, the announcement of the European Commission's long-awaited proposal to revise the REACH regulation. Uh, 
However, as the year drew to a close, some important measures were introduced, most notably the publication of a proposal to revise the CLP regulation and the Framework for Safe and Sustainable by Design concept, or SSBD. So, Lee, um, can we just start with these proposals, the, the CLP revision and the SSBD framework? So briefly, can you just tell us what, what are the key features and, and what are we expecting this year? Yes, thanks, Kate. Um, yeah, they've both been two of the big talking points uh, since they were announced. Uh, firstly, on the CLP, the Commission published its final proposal to, re- to revise the regulation in December. Uh, along with a delegated regulation and an annex to add new hazard classes. And this is this is a particular talking point. The hazard classes are for endocrine disruptors, EDCs, and that's for human health or the environment, uh, persistent bioaccumulative and toxic, or PBT, or very persistent and very bioaccumulative, VPBB. Uh, and finally, there's persistent mobile and toxic PMT, or very persistent and very mobile. VPVM. So um, this has been such a major development because the move will ultimately result in more substances becoming subject to regulatory scrutiny uh, and regulatory measures as well. Um, But it could also have an impact um, on classification globally because the EU has also proposed to introduce the new hazard classes under the UN's globally harmonised system of classification and labelling of chemicals. So um, Quite a big implication here on on all classification. For Europe, uh, introducing the new hazard classes is expected to enter into force early this year, and that'll be after a two-month scrutiny period by the European Parliament and Council. Uh, And it proposes that this work is carried out at the global level in the GHS work programme over the next kind of two to six years. So a little way off, but it's still still certainly um, on the cards. Um, In terms of the general CLP revision, uh, the proposal also aims to provide more clarity on labelling issues, so uh, such as readability and digital labels. And it also aims to improve compliance with CLP for online sales of chemicals. So that's a, a brief overview of the CLP and where we're at. For the Safe and Sustainable by Design framework, which was also published in December, uh, this in simplified terms is it's kind of aiming to promote research and innovation of safer and more sustainable chemicals and materials. And it does this, the framework is basically set out in a four-step evaluation process. So very briefly, step one is hazard assessment of the chemical material. And it's worth noting here that it's kind of a cutoff this step, because if it doesn't pass the hazard assessment, it doesn't go on to the next stages. So it's uh, quite an important step. If it does pass that step, step two is human health and safety aspects in the chemical material production and processing phase. Step three, human health and environmental aspects in the final application phase. So this is concerning the use specific exposure of the chemical and material and the associated risks to both human health and the environment. Following that, you've got step four, which is the environmental sustainability assessment, uh, evaluating impacts along the entire chemical material life cycle. So they're the four steps, but the Commission Developers, which is the the Commission's joint research centre of the framework, have also proposed exploring the inclusion of a fifth step, uh, which is to address the social and economic assessment of a chemical's life cycle as well. Um, 
But what's happening now is that the framework has been published um, and we're now into a two-year testing phase where companies and other stakeholders, including uh, the Commission's Joint Research Centre, actually apply the framework to their chemicals and processes. So we get some real, real life experience of it. Uh, and these tests already have produced some initial findings. And it turns out that the challenges um, highlighted by the companies that are testing, uh, including uh, the JRC, uh, is obtaining and generating data. Um, gathering internal and external expertise is also another factor. Uh, and identifying the right tools to achieve a complete and sufficient evaluation. Uh, and what we're looking for here is there's a final report with conclusions of these ongoing case studies, and that's planned uh, to be published in May. So we should find out more about the SSBD framework, how it's faring practically, and any recommended improvements. That's great. Thank you very much for bringing us uh, right up to date on that, Lee. Um, so now can we could we take a look at the proposals that were pushed back uh, to 2023? So the most important of which, of course, is the, the long-awaited REACH revision proposal, um, but also the definition of the essential use concept. So, so what are we expecting now in 2023 in these two uh, vital areas? Yes, I think this is probably the most controversial area. Um, of course, REACH is kind of the flagship regulation for Europe. Uh, and it's pretty straightforward what's happened. The, the proposal was initially expected by the end of last year, and it was pushed back to early 2023. Um, but it's since been delayed further and is now planned for the fourth quarter of the year. Now, it might not sound like such a big deal, but this, this final delay has actually concerned a lot of stakeholders, mostly NGOs, but, but many others. Um, and that's because it risks deferring consideration of the, re the revision itself to the next parliament in 2024. And this makes the outcome uh, far more uncertain than under the current EU bodies. So it's quite a, uh, an issue for some. Um, in a number of commission held meetings that have happened this year, uh, for example, there was last month, the high level round table of the chemical strategy for sustainability. Um, NGOs and others within, the, within that group really pushed for the proposal to be published before the summer. Uh, and, and I'm sure we'll see more uh, organisations continuing to do that. But whether we see any deviation to the Commission's current Q4 plans uh, is certainly yet to be seen. Um, so that's where we're at with the REACH revision uh, for essential use. We were expecting this proposal by the end of last year as well, uh, but this is now scheduled for Q2 this year. Uh, and for those unfamiliar with the essential use concept, it aims to define the criteria to ensure that the most harmful chemicals are only allowed if the necessary, uh, if necessary for health or safety, or if they're critical for the functioning of society, uh, and also if there are no alternatives that are acceptable from the standpoint of the environment and health. And the latest here is uh, WSP, which is the consultancy tasked with with the work by the Commission, uh, published in December a summary outcome of the criteria. And this basically says that to qualify for ban exemptions from essential, essential use, only uses upon which health and safety are dependent and where no acceptable alternatives are available should be considered necessary. Um, it also says that uses which provide a low level of benefit or convenience uh, should not be uh, deemed as well. Uh, likewise, uses upon which the functioning of society is dependent should be regarded as critical. 
So some fairly bold statements there on what should and shouldn't be considered essential. Okay, thank you very much for that, Lee. Um, Another key element of the chemicals strategy um, is the ambitious PFAS restriction proposal, which was actually published just over a couple of weeks ago. Um, So before we head off to our next topic, which is Canada, um, can you please talk us through the, the key points of the proposal? Yeah, sure. And and again, this is another hugely topical area of PFAS, obviously, um, very much in the, the public domain at the moment. Um, and obviously, this has been highly anticipated. And the proposal doesn't hold back. Um, the first thing to note is that it aims to place limits on all uses of more than 10,000 PFASs. Uh, and I emphasise the 10,000 because this is significantly more than the 4,700 4, that had been uh, previously identified. So the proposal lays out two options on how to restrict the use and placing on the market, and that includes import uh, of PFASs. So the first option is is an all-out full ban with no derogations and a transition period of 18 months after the regulation enters into force. Um, That's option one. And then option two, which is actually the uh, preferred choice by the the, the five countries uh, that have submitted the proposal, Uh, is a full ban with use-specific time-limited derogations that would carry an 18-month transition period and a 5- or 12-year derogation period, depending on what the application is. Uh, The restriction report calls option two the most balanced way forward, leaving room to mitigate unwanted effects to society due to the sudden unavailability of products for which alternatives are not yet in place and allow stakeholders and industry to prepare for a smooth transition to alternatives. Um, so what are the next steps? Well, at their March meetings, ECA's Committees for Socioeconomic Analysis and Risk Assessment, or SEAC and RAC, will undertake the legal checks on the proposal. And if accepted, uh, there will be a timetable set out, which will see first a six-month consultation on the proposal, which uh, is expected to start on the 22nd of March. Uh, Then an ECHA information session on the proposal uh, on the 5th of April. RAC and SEAC's final opinions are then to be made in 2024, so next year. And then the European Commission then adopts the restriction and it enters into force potentially in 2025. And then the restriction becomes applicable between 2026 and 2027. Um, So, yes, so lots of work ongoing and certainly a very busy few years ahead. Indeed. Okay. well, thank you very much for that, Lee. Um, So now uh, turning to Canada, uh, where stakeholders are optimistic that a major overhaul of the Canadian Environmental Protection Act, or CEPA, will finally be completed this year, bringing significant potential impacts in its wake. Um, So, Terry, uh, can you bring us up to date on exactly where we are in the process? Okay. Sure. So the effort to reform SEPA has actually been brewing for a while. Canada's main chemicals law was last updated in 1999. And while some parliamentary committees have reviewed the law a couple times back in 2007, 2008, the, the ball on reform kind of started rolling, albeit slowly, uh, a few years ago. In, in 2017, the House of Commons Standing Committee on Environment and Sustainable Development, or ENVY Committee, issued a report to Parliament saying it was time to update SEPA, and it laid out uh, nearly 90 recommendations 
most of them dealing with chemicals management. The government then introduced a reform bill in 2021, and that included many of the Envy Committee's recommendations. But that effort died when the prime minister called for an early federal election. Then last year, we got the bill that's currently in play, S-5, and that is similar to the bill that was introduced in 2021. So S-5 was unveiled by the government in early 2022, and it was approved by the Senate last June, uh, which then sent the bill to the House, where it currently is. And while past predictions that a CEPA reform bill might pass haven't always panned out, it does look like the bill has a good chance of getting through the House and becoming law this time. There's broad recognition from industry, NGOs, and even lawmakers across the different parties that CEPA does indeed need to be updated. So like I said, S5 is now back in the House, which has sent the measure to the aforementioned NV committee. And that committee has been reviewing provisions that the Senate that Senate already approved and has also started debating their own changes to S5. And once the committee completes its work, it will send the bill to the full house for a final reading. And the NV committee's chair, one of the coach uh, vice chairs, Monique Pazé, has said that the committee could have the bill back to the full house in the upcoming months, this spring or really by the summer. And if approved, the legislation would then have to be reconciled with the Senate version, which at this point is not drastically different from what the House has. And then it would move on for royal assent to officially become law. That's great. So thanks for bringing us right up to date. Um, so what then are the most important changes that the revamp of the law will introduce? Yeah, so there are several. Uh, some of the potential changes, according to many in, in industry, could move Canada's system uh, for chemicals management closer to the EU's more hazard-focused approach. So first off, the bill would split SEPA's uh, current Schedule 1 list of toxic substances into two parts. Part 1 would contain the most toxic substances, and they would be prioritized for prohibition. Uh, part 2, then, would be su uh, substances that would see a focus on uh, pollution and risk prevention. Another change in S5 would create what's being called a watch list of substances. And these would be substances that could potentially become toxic. Some in industry complain that this would create sort of an unnecessary specter around certain chemicals that haven't even yet been shown to be a risk. Uh, also under the bill, companies would need to meet a higher bar for their confidential business information claims. The legislation would require companies to provide, quote, reasons for their CBI claims, but the bill does not provide a lot of detail on what exactly those reasons might require. And S5 would also bring changes for chemical assessments. It would require consideration of cumulative risks from multiple substances and exposures, as well as how substances might affect vulnerable populations. And it would also give the public a right to ask the, the government, uh, Health or Environment Canada, which co-administer SEPA, SEPA uh, it would give the public the right to ask the government to conduct a risk assessment for a substance. And speaking of the rights of the public, uh, the bill in its uh, current form uh, looks like it will recognize a right to a healthy environment. As the bill stands now, it would require the government to develop a framework within two years, specifying how such a right would be applied. 
So unless more specific amendments are added to the bill, we would have to wait a couple more years to see exactly how this right to a healthy environment would be implemented and enforced. And of course, we could see more amendments. Uh, Parliament is due to return next week, and the NV committee continues, uh, will continue debating the bill um, starting the week of March 6th. NGOs have been pressuring lawmakers to require an even higher bar for CBI claims, so we could see amendments around those. Uh, they also want language specifying some of the details under the right to a healthy environment, and they're pushing for labeling requirements for products containing substances that are or may become toxic. Now, that's not to say that any of these sort of NGO wishlist items will come to pass. We've already seen some of the more aggressive amendments fail in the Envy Committee. Efforts to add to S5 a new virtual elimination list for toxic substances and uh, efforts to set a one-year time limit on chemical assessments, amendments to add those provisions have both failed in recent weeks. So we'll have to keep watching to see what S5 looks like when it gets out of the Envy Committee and, and gets back to the full house. Okay, thank you very much for that, Terry. So finally, let's uh, turn to PFAS, uh, the use of which in products is likely to see greater scrutiny, I believe, this year in Canada. Um, can you tell us a little uh, about what it's what is likely to be on the cards in 2023? Sure. So Canada doesn't currently have a lot of restrictions on PFAS, but the compounds are definitely on the government's radar. Toward the end of this year, we expect to see final regulations that replace current restrictions on some long chain PFAS, as well as persistent flame retardants. The these new, uh, the, the prohibition of certain toxic substances regulations, uh, they would remove current exemptions for certain PFAS. Uh, they would sunset an allowance for manufactured items that contain PFOA or perfluorocarboxylic acids. Uh, they would also uh, end exemptions for PFOS in things like photographic films, as well as the continued use of, of products made before 2017 that contain those specific substances. One side note that's potentially more important in the upcoming regulations, however, are restrictions on a couple flame retardants, uh, decam, uh, excuse me, decabromodiphenylethane or DBDPE and dechlorane plus or DP, which are used in a range of products from electronics to adhesives. But back to PFAS, uh, Health and Environment Canada have already been looking closely at the use of PFAS through SEPA's uh, significant new activity provisions. And under those provisions, uh, the government can require the submission of additional information um, and even ask companies to take actions to manage any risks that the government identifies. And in the next few months, in the, in the first half of this year, the government is expected to release a state of PFAS reports, and that could guide how the government proceeds in addressing uh, uh, PFAS chemistry, chemistries and products containing the compounds, including potential new regulations on their use, uh, on their manufacture or uh, importation. Thanks very much for the update on that, Terry. So that's it for today. Uh, so thank you to, to Kelly, to Lee and Terry 
for sharing their insights into key developments for 2023. And thank you to our audience for listening to this Chemical Watch News and Insight podcast. We hope you found it useful. The Global Outlook series of articles for 2023 can be found at the Chemical Watch News and Insight website at chemicalwatch.com. We hope you can join us for our next podcast. Until then, goodbye. The Chemical Watch Podcast. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety.